Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. Kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Not the uh, quote that I was expecting to start with, but... It's a Michael episode, everybody. I'm it, back. It's a Michael. Hey. <laughs> Does Jason have openers like that? I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't. No, you don't listen to those episodes. No, I don't. <laughs> That's not true. I have. You should listen to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then you should watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then you should listen to Invasion of the Body Snatchers Part 2, because that's my one of my favorite movies of this year. Really? You know what? What's that other movie you wanted me to watch that you and Jason did back in like March, like Death Proof or something? You gave me the Blu-ray. Death... Oh, Death Trap. Death Trap. Yeah. <laughs> I still need to watch that, too. Solid movie. I don't... I, we're getting way too far into best of at the end of the year here, which is coming up. It's I've been thinking up, but... about my best of list, and it's going to be tough. It is going to be tough. We watched a lot of good movies this year. I think I know what my number one is, but I'm going to save it. Cool. cool but cool, it's going to cool. be kind of cliche and obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't do the good, the bad, and the ugly, so. No, that's right. I've well, seen it too many times. Yeah. I do like that as a as a cutoff, though, of not being able to do, like, movies that we've watched at more than two viewings. Of. Yeah, that's a clever rule, because it forces us to get a little more creative. Yeah, exactly. Because then it would just be the good, the bad, and the ugly every year <laughs> consecutively. Yeah, which I want to avoid, right? Right, right. But anyway, we have a really good movie to talk about today, so why don't we actually talk about the movie that we were planning on talking about today which why is afternoon. why don't we do that blake that's dog what I... day afternoon yep cat midnight oh, i screwed it up already <laughs> never mind let's just keep going you're trying to do like a donald trump like word association thing right now okay don't 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 put that evil on me <laughs> <laughs> don't you put that hate on me ricky Bobby? Uh, i tried something creative it didn't work let's just move on <laughs> <laughs> all right so we are doing dog day afternoon this is actually a movie that we've talked about on this podcast before way back in the movie draft one, the, our very first movie draft, I did Sidney Lumet as the director. That's right. You know what? As soon as I saw who the director was, I was like, of course, Blake this. <laughs> <laughs> it's also our biographical episode, which biographical films are having kind of a moment, maybe even a decade right now. Although this I isn't guess. really the biographical, like your typical biographical film. No. And like, I kind of forgot halfway through that this was based on real events. Right. I just kind of got swept along with the movie. And then, okay, spoilers, like when they do the little captions at the end to show what happened to so-and-so, Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, this was a true story, kind <laughs> this, of. This kind of happened, kind this of. kind of happened. <laughs> I haven't checked to see how much of this is true and how much of this is Hollywood. I'm assuming you have, yeah. but I'm curious to hear. This is a really interesting movie, and it's going to be a really interesting movie to discuss. So why don't we start with the plot and kind of work our way through there? And this is the spoiler-free primer episode. So if you haven't seen this movie, honestly, I don't think a lot of people have heard of this movie. You want to hear something funny? When you told me we were doing Dog Day Afternoon, I was like, oh, the movie where Al Pacino is a football coach. <laughs> I think I was thinking of any given Sunday, although I don't even know if that's about football or if Al Pacino is in it. <laughs> nice. So I was very surprised and confused going in. You you sound both surprised and confused. But anyway, do you want to get started with the plot? Sure. I mean, the plot, such that it is, is um, three bank robbers attempt to rob a bank and things go horribly, comically cosmically wrong yes like and from 
the first minute of the robbery. Absolutely, yeah. And then uh, hostages are taken, the police surround the building, and things continue to escalate from there. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty good summary. Like, that's kind of where things are going, you know, not spoiled at all, but... Can I can I tell you what I liked about this movie? Yeah, is that go, it's a very it. simple setup. Yes! And yes, it's a it very is. simple premise that they just keep building upon. And what's really, I think, effective about this movie is it's a really easy watch as well. You know, like, you kind of get into it, you get into the story of the characters... It's it's really centered around the main character, which is Al Pacino's character, Sonny. The whole movie is just kind of peeling back the layers as to like what led to Sonny essentially masterminding and and pulling trying to pull off this bank. Well, heist. masterminding is pushing it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what led him to this moment? Um, yeah, no, and like again, like this is kind of jumping ahead to my personal review, but like this movie has also just aged remarkably well. Yeah. Like it's very watchable, it's very funny, it's very entertaining. There's even some like social stuff in this movie that's still very relevant nowadays. Well, and what I talked about back in the draft episode when we did that was it almost feels like this every 50 years kind of history comes around full circle. Like it feels this is the 2020s feel very similar to the 1970s. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of social unrest, a lot of like very unhappy people, wage is... Uh, inflation, inflation. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Police brutality. So, yeah, exactly. So it, it feels like we've kind of come full circle on that, and that kind of makes this movie so much more interesting to watch in 2023 because it really does... It feels like it could have been set today and not a lot would have changed. I mean, some of the technological details would have changed but no i was actually i committed a cardinal sin today watching this movie i was like you could almost remake this movie today which i know is a cardinal sin for film buffs but like it seems very it's like yeah it's a movie that could very well be set in 2023 yeah i think i think i see what you mean in that this movie could be made today like if if you hadn't have told me that this film was made in 1975 I don't think that, you know, that's immediately going to, you know, pop into your mind that this is a movie from 1975, but I don't think this movie ever needs to be remade because like you said, so many of the social commentary of this film is so applicable to today and now. And like also just in terms of like, you know, a lot of the movies that we go back and watch, there's a couple yikes moments. Right. And this movie has a couple, but like, it's actually a fairly... We'll talk more about this in the spoiler episode, but this movie is like fairly respectful for the most part. Well, yeah, and and it, you know, this movie has some discussion about the LGBTQ community. I'm sorry if I'm missing other stuff. I'm I'm really bad at memory. Uh, you know that whole community. It's it's a really deep discussion on aspects of that and through it's respectful but also critical of it and it also shows like you know like what it would have been like in the 1970s to be a part of that community like there's some hostility towards that in in that and like the movie doesn't shy away from that and i don't think it's na- unlike now where everything is cool <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah yeah but, yeah but you know what i mean right like it's it's a really interesting movie and it like you said, it's mostly respectful of all of the different topics and people that it's trying to cover. Yeah. And viewpoints as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
There's also just a lot of white men yelling at each other across the street. (laughs) That's like 90% of the movie, and it's awesome. And that's actually something that's really interesting about this movie. And I'm I'm skipping over characters and people you may know here for a second. Who is this movie for? You know what? We'll come back to that. I I will come back to that thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's actually do characters and people you may know. So Al Pacino, front and center, the main character. This is him pretty much just right off of the Godfather series. Yeah. And he actually took on this role to kind of have a bit of a different characterization of the Godfather series. He was actually hesitant to take on this role. Interesting. He, yeah, he was a, he's a character actor, and so he really gets into the characters that he's portraying. And this is like a very, you know, paranoid, uh, just at the end of his rope man, right? And, you know, he's he's just completely like wired throughout the film like so he's he acts like me on any given day yeah (laughs) yeah and he's playing the real life character or the real life uh person person john watchitowicz uh and he's actually in this movie called sonny wartzik okay so they changed his last name yeah well they changed his first name too oh right (laughs) yeah i was i was listening i promise yeah so, I mean, Al Pacino's a household name. And... Can I, can I again, just skip ahead maybe a bit? Yeah. I think this might be my favorite Al Pacino performance. I was going to say that as well. This character has a lot of nuance and layers, and Al Pacino embodies it perfectly. Like, he's paranoid, and he's not perfect, and he makes a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's certainly not a great guy, but there is a little bit of decency to him. Right. Like, there are some small moments where you show, like, where you almost, there are moments where you kind of root for the guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some small moments of compassion that he gives off. And, like, he is, he's smart, too, despite everything. Mm -hmm. Like, there's one moment towards the end where I was like, he figures something out. And I'm like, oh, I did not see that. Like, this guy isn't stupid. Yeah. Like, he makes bad decisions, but he's not stupid. Yeah, no, definitely. And that actually is a good note. Like, this is probably the most likable character that Al Pacino's ever played as well. There's there's yeah. a bit of a charm to him. He's not, you know, this isn't like the later Al Pacino where he's devolved into like a screaming maniac 100% of the time he's on screen. No, he's, there's a lot of screaming, but it's very human screaming uh, yeah i guess yeah <laughs> you know what blake leave that in i like how i phrased that okay yeah um and he actually like later on the movie film website premiere lists this as the fourth greatest performance of all time interesting i don't know what my own personal list would be but it's definitely up there like you said it's it's probably the best alpercino performance period i'd agree with that so that's one main draw of why you want to see this movie is because Al Pacino just absolutely gives you 120% in this one. Yeah, he's a powerhouse. Yeah. The other character or an actor that you should be aware of is his main accomplice, Sal. He's much more dim-witted than Sonny is. He also might have a whole lot of PTSD going on because he's a Vietnam war vet. He's kind of a dark character, like a dark, quiet, brooding character. He's almost kind of the opposite of Frito from The Godfather, yeah. whereas Frito was kind of a joke. Like, this character is intimidating. Yeah. And, like, I don't, you wouldn't think, like, a five 
three 120 pound man would be so intimidating but like there are moments in the movie where you're like whoa yeah <laughs> yeah like, like he says things where you're like oh okay ah, I, guess, I guess we are ready to go here today yeah okay but yeah like you alluded to he's played by john kazale who's plays fredo in the godfather series and this is actually one of his only five performances that he did because he unfortunately passed away in his early 40s. But every single one of his films was an Oscar-winning film. We've covered two now, now that we've done Godfather Part 1 and this. I imagine over the course of the next few years, we're going to do the other three of his films because they're all, like like I said, very well-received films. I think he, we, we'd have to. And I mean, this movie just proves the kind of range the guy has. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like... You know, in The Godfather, he's like this dim-witted, childish buffoon. And yeah, in this, he's a goofball. Yeah, and in this movie, he's like he still has some funny moments, but he's dark and intimidating. Yeah, for sure. So there's one other performance that I, I want to talk really, really briefly on. And I actually don't even want to spoil the character, but I just want to say that Chris Sarandon makes an appearance in this film. That's Prince Humperdinck from The Princess Bride. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the dots are connecting. Yeah. It's honestly like almost overshadows Al Pacino's character. He's he has a really incredible performance in this one as Leon. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually his first film performance too. Wow, well, he came, he swung for the fences straight out of the gate. Yeah, I and I don't really want to spoil that because it's kind of a bit of, it's a little it, bit of a twist, an unexpected twist in the film. It's a reveal, yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's it's something to kind of wait in anticipation for his, him to be presented in this film. Presented, yeah, yeah. The, I will say, I we're going to save it for the spoiler section, but that particular twist halfway through the movie, I sat up in bed and i was like what like yeah. i was not expecting that right. especially not from a movie of this time period yeah, yeah yeah definitely this movie just has a lot to say so yeah but there's a few other characters like there's all of the the hostages all of the bank employees who have various levels of importance to the film every every character has maybe a moment or two but there's maybe the the bank manager like mulvaney, mulvaney yeah yeah and Angie are, or sorry, Sylvia, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's Sylvia. Angie is his wife. Yes. And yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. It's, it's Sylvia. They're kind of the two main characters of the bank heist. Sylvia is kind of one of the more senior bank tellers. She's like the mother hen of the group. Yeah. She's sort of the leader. Yeah, exactly. And then on the flip side, we have Sergeant Moretti, the police officer, played very well by Charles Durning. Mm, I don't know him from much. No, he doesn't have a lot of very famous films from like the later years. Like, and no, none of our younger audience are really going to know him. But he has some appearances in some really famous movies like The Sting, The Muppet Movie, and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is a pretty good one. Okay, interesting. Yeah, the Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so he's around. Yeah, and then there's actually one other performance that I just want to quickly mention because not only is the police presence almost immediate and also over the top and ridiculous, <laughs> yes. but the FBI actually appears relatively quickly as well and then kind of watches from 
the shadows for the bulk of the movie before making a decision as to whether or not to act on the situation. Mm -hmm. And the head FBI agent is actually played by James Broderick, which yesterday I realized was Matthew Broderick's dad. Oh, (laughs) fun. Yeah, kind of an interesting connection there. So I guess I can kind of see the resemblance. Yeah, a little bit. He actually had uh, Matthew Broderick on set while he was filming this, and then later on, years later, Matthew Broderick and Sidney Lumet did a movie together as well. Which movie did they do together? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Never Uh... never heard that voice come from you before. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a movie that you've never heard of before, because Sidney Lumet, the actor... or The The actor's director? Yeah, the actor's director has a lot of very large filmography and uh not a lot of people have seen a lot of his movies he's made oh he made over 50 movies in his lifetime jesus in like 50 years he he was making on average a movie a year so he was just kind of the quiet carpenter of hollywood yeah for sure yeah. And i mean like one of his movies is 12 angry men which is considered one of the greatest movies of all time yeah which you haven't seen right uh no the black and white one yeah right no i haven't seen that yeah, one. yeah we're gonna do that on the podcast in the next two years i would say i don't know if we'll get to it next year or not but it is it is a classic like i remember watching it in high school in law class and being like wow that was actually like a Excellent. really good movie yeah but yes they matthew broderick and sydney lumet worked together in 1989's family business yeah never heard of it does not have a good rating. Okay, it's well... It's not one of his uh, good movies. But it actually... You know what? It doesn't have a good rating, but it stars Sean Connery, Dustin Hoffman, and Matthew Broderick. That's quite a cast. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might have to do that, too, just out of curiosity. Out of curiosity, maybe, but it's got a 5.7 on IMDb, so I don't know if Yikes. it's... Yikes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sidney Lumet, we, we've talked about on this podcast before because I did him as a director. I'd never heard of him before then. Uh, I don't think a lot of, you know, non-film majors have heard of Sidney Lumet. I was a film major and I hadn't heard of him until you brought him up. Yeah, he kind of is, yeah, one of the unsung heroes of Hollywood, but he's extraordinarily important to Hollywood. Like you mentioned, he's the actor's director. All of the most famous actors of the 60s, 70s onwards just really, really loved working with him. He had a very interesting approach to his movies, which I talked about deeply in the movie draft episode so again recommend you go back to check that one out but other than dog day afternoon and 12 angry men he also did network a movie that was one of my favorites of last year the verdict with paul newman which is considered one of the greats of all time and uh serpico which is another based on a true story it's another al pacino movie right it is another al yeah movie. so they clearly liked each other Yes. I, I think a lot of actors who worked with Sidney Lumet once tried to work with him multiple times because of how enjoyable he was to work with. Hmm. And and he seems to be the kind of guy to elevate actors' performances as well. And I don't know quite what it is, but like you, you and I have said, this is probably our favorite Al Pacino film appearance. Yeah, and like there's lots of little subtle nuances, like just in his face and inflection, that I imagine 
Sidney Lumet was grabbing onto. Yeah. Or maybe bringing out of him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, who is this movie for? And does this hold up to a modern watch? You already spoiled that part. (laughs) It does. It holds up very well. I, so we talked about how this is a biographical film, but it's not your typical biographical film about some rich, famous person. It's, It's a biographical film about a regular guy pushed to extremes to do something extreme, and then it goes cosmically horribly comically wrong yeah (laughs) tits up (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly so all of that's really interesting it's you know it's not your typical heist bank heist movie in that like you said it goes horribly wrong from the get-go and then the whole movie really takes place in the bank like over the 12 to 14 hours that this yeah i gotta admit um maybe this is jumping ahead a bit i feel like i've been saying that a lot tonight but uh (laughs) The bank robbery itself, such that it is, takes about 20 minutes. And after it happened, I looked at the running time and I was like, well, what are we going to do for the next hour and 40 <laughs> minutes, right? But I, they filled it out, right? Yeah, you ate your words. Yeah, and I also got to say that like, that's one of the best openings I've ever seen. Like, It almost reminded me of the opening of Silence of the Lambs in terms of just getting my attention right away. Right. And like, it's... Yeah, we'll it's t- hilarious. Uh, yeah, it's so funny and like it's so uh, uh, yeah, we we should save it for the spoiler section, but it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And what I'll say as well about maybe my pitch for this movie is that a lot of the dialogue this you know, it's pretty it's pretty funny dialogue, it's pretty snappy. A lot of it's improvised. Like this is maybe the most improvised movie to win an Oscar. Really? Yes. Huh. So this is not something that Sidney Lumet would typically do, and I think this is pretty much the only movie that he let this happen with, is they had the specific kind of points in the plot that they needed to hit while they were filming, but beyond that, he would pretty much gave the actors free reign to like figure their characters out and just react to situations in the moment. So Interesting. Of, yeah, a lot of the big scenes are just the different actors in character just feeling each other out. And that actually, I think, is a real benefit to this movie, right? Because there's a lot of characters who really don't have all the answers, right? Like, there's things happening in this movie, and the characters are just kind of reacting to them and reacting off of each other. And I think that's really a benefit to allow that kind of improvisation because you don't know what the guy in front of you is about to tell you, right? Communication is, like, a big theme in this movie, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it kind of devolves where, like, You've got everyone in the bank, and then you've got the cops across the street. Right. And then some other people, and, like, newscasters and stuff like that. Well, it's like a that. big zoo, right? It's a big circus, yeah. And, like, there's lots of, like, communication becomes an issue, even, like, within, like, there's that moment where, like, something goes wrong, and then Sal is about to shoot, start shooting hostages. Right. Because he thinks one thing happened when really something else happened. So then Sonny has to run back inside and stop him. So like, it's a constant barrage of communication. Yeah. And Sonny's being pulled in all sorts of different directions too, right? You kind of feel for the guy at different points, right? Like he's, you know, he even says at one point, I forget what the exact quote was. He's like, I gotta, I gotta do all that thinking and I gotta do everything myself. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that, that's moments like that where I think that a lot of people are going to connect to him like that. You know, like, as you become more and more of an adult, I feel like the burdens of the world start to become a little bit more I was apparent. just talking to you and your fiancé about how things are going good, but I just feel like I'm being pulled in so many different directions yeah. at all times. Like, yeah. it can be exhausting. 
Yeah, and I think that I think in that sense you can really connect with the character. Yeah, quickly. Absolutely, he is shockingly likable. Yeah, actually, all these characters are shockingly likable at times. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so rounding out my who this movie is for, I think that almost anyone is going to enjoy this one. Like Jess and I equally like this movie when we watched it for the movie draft this was our favorite movie that we watched for that the first movie draft it's it's just in such an easy film to watch like you know it the stakes aren't significantly high but there's also you know like but there is mounting tension throughout yeah, the movie there's mounting tension which works really well it, it's just you know it's just a good watch mm-hmm. i i can't really say anything negative about the movie honestly no, not really. Like, actually, <laughs> and I always have complaints or grievances, but no, I don't have any, I have no notes. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know what? This is what I'll say about maybe why you haven't heard of this movie and maybe, you know, why it's surprising how great it is, is because, so this is an Oscar movie as well, and that's maybe who else I would say should watch this movie is, you know, if you're interested in the Oscars and Oscar-type films, this is a character study, like, it fits that kind of mold of oscar films but it's not stuffy like an oscar film you might think of right no and i think the thing that took me aback the most was i wasn't expecting this movie to be as funny as it was yeah and for the humor to hold up as well as it does yeah exactly and so when i kind of the point that i'm, I'm getting towards here is that obviously a movie like this is going to be oscar bait and it did get nominated for six oscars However, there is one massive movie that happened to come out the same year, which is also considered one of the greats of all time that just kind of overshadowed this one and kind of made this film follow the limelight and I think became less uh, important to movie culture over time. And that's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Wasn't that kind of a common problem with Sidney Lumet was that he'd make a great movie, but then an even better movie would come out around the same time. Yeah, that was kind of the unfortunate luck that Sidney Lumet had. Whoops. Yeah. Did he ever win an Oscar? Oh, yeah. He won Oscars. I mean, this movie does does win an Oscar, but he was nominated for Best Director for 12 Angry Men, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, and The Verdict, and he was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay of Prince of the City. But he never won an Oscar, unfortunately, because all of those movies had massive films, like you said, to compete with those years. Although 12 Angry Men on retrospect has become like like i said one of the greatest of all time oh yeah and these movies it's not like he's been erased like these movies are still well known yeah yeah it's just i feel like something like this one isn't known by anybody outside of the like diehard film community and that's a shame i guess but it also kind of works to this movie's i think it kind of works to this movie's benefit on hindsight is that like i went into this movie knowing jack shit Right. And like normally with big movies, like they get parodied or they become absorbed into pop culture so much that like you can almost it almost spoils it for you. But like I went at this movie knowing nothing like I was watching the finale and I was like, I genuinely don't know how this is going to end. That's what I say often about sending the Mets films. And maybe it's what the case you're making here is that even in the movie draft, like all of the films that I did back then. I said, like, I honestly didn't know how every one of his movies were going to end. And maybe that's what you're saying here. And maybe that holds true is that because his films aren't necessarily the greatest movie of each year that it was released kind of thing or isn't remembered as one of the greats of that year or, or the best that because it's not been parodied a million times on The Simpsons, for example, there's a little bit of surprise and wow factor left in these. 
Yeah, really. Like all these different plot turns. I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> especially the one in the middle that we'll talk about next week. Definitely. So when to watch, I think this is a Sunday afternoon movie. I think this is just perfect for them. It's called Dog Day Afternoon. Why not just watch it on Sunday afternoon? Exactly. But honestly, it, it's a good enough movie that you could probably watch it really anytime. I I think you could make a case to make this like a big, you know, blockbuster Saturday night movie. I would even watch this with friends, honestly. It's yeah, cool. no, it's it's a very flexible in that sense. Yeah. Where to watch right now, it is streaming on Stars, which is Stars Through Prime or Stars Through Crave. I did not have either, and I've used my free subscription of Stars on Prime, so I rented it. On YouTube? Not on YouTube, on Prime. Oh, I rented on YouTube. <laughs> Same here, dude. Nice. And it was good on YouTube? The volume was a little low, actually, but that might have been my laptop. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So your mileage may vary. Fair enough. Uh, it, on Prime, the volume was really good. Okay. Very well mixed. Nice. And that being said, that is it for the Primer episode, I think. Is there any kind of last minute thoughts you want to say before we wrap up? I have a lot of thoughts, but I think they belong in the spoiler section. Cool. Yeah. 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 I'm looking forward to talk about this one in more detail. So go check this one out because it's great. And then come back in next week and listen to the deep dive. Do it. Come back. <laughs> Tell your friends. Tell your dad. Yeah. How could I forget? Tell your dad. 